great privilege to be here worshiping with you today. I'm excited to be here. I was here just last night speaking to our seniors from Pine Hills, but it's a blessing to be worshiping with you. And as we begin, I just again want to request the Spirit of God, who I know is already here, to fill our hearts. Lord, once again, I pause just to ask that your words are what is heard today. It doesn't matter what I say, it matters what is heard. May I be like that jar of clay, broken so that your light may shine through. And may we leave here inspired, empowered, with a sense of your knowledge, or with a knowledge and sense of your love for us. And may we be the light in a dark world. We ask these things in the saving name of Jesus. Amen. I had to laugh this week. I came home from work one afternoon, pulled into my parking spot at our house, got out of the car, and sometimes there are things that just grab your attention. And I noticed that on my wife's car, there was a brown paper sack, like a a small McDonald's-sized brown paper sack, carefully placed on the driver's side, side view mirror. And I knew instantly that she was declaring war. She was declaring war on this insane robin that lives in our yard somewhere. (laughs) Now, it's not the first time my wife has declared war on the animals of our community. Um, a A few years ago... Uh, It was 3 a.m. I heard a rustling outside of our window, and I reached over to what would have probably been clobber my wife as I'm startled awake. Anna, did you hear that? Anna. And I look around and realize that she has heard a noise, and the noise I'm hearing is actually her outside at 3 in the morning fighting the deer away from her plants to protect her plants. So... My wife wants to win the battle against nature. And this robin, this robin, I agree, is insane. It many times flies into our windows, repeatedly. Not just once and sits down, it just bangs against our windows. And for some reason, it likes to perch upon our side view mirrors and leave long streaks of evidence that it has been right there on our side view mirrors, apparently after lunch. Um, And so we're constantly having to wash the cars and try and get rid of this. And so she's moved the car to different spots around the area, and always the same white streak appears upon her door. And so in an effort to win the war, the brown paper bag was brought out and used as the next weapon. I can't, this was just this week, I can't tell you if it's been effective or not. I know the white streak is still there, so it's still to be determined if she's going to win this war against the robin, short of buying a cat, but I'm allergic. So, so often in life, maybe you've noticed this as well, so often in life, there are little battles that we fight every day, little battles that seem significant, but are really not that important in the long run. Sometimes we fight battles every day that we get so used to forgetting 
the importance that this battle places. There is a battle that wages in our world every day. A battle for our souls. A battle that so desperately wants to win our soul away from the Creator God. In Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, Paul talks about this battle. In verse 12, he says, Our struggle, our battle, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Maybe you've felt that battle this week in your life. Maybe you've questioned, why is God allowing this to happen? What is really happening in the world that is causing this in my life? And today we're going to make an attempt to see what the Bible has to tell us about the battle that rages, the spiritual battle that we fight every day. What is this battle about? What is the central controversy happening in this battle? I invite you, if you have a phone with a Bible app or an actual Bible, to open it up and turn with me to the story of Job. Pull out your iPads, your phones, whatever it is, and turn to the story of Job. Because in this story, we can begin to see what the central issue in this controversy, this spiritual battle that we fight every day is. So I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Job, chapter 1. Many of you may know the story of Job. If not, let me give you a brief background. Job was the Bill Gates of his era. He had everything. The Bible lists the numerous animals that he had, 7,000 cattle, 3,000 oxen. Uh, just He was rich beyond compare, and he had a family, a large family. And so Job had it all. But the story of Job is a story of loss, of great personal loss. Job endures an experience that is cringeworthy. Maybe you come here today feeling a sense of loss of something in your life. A sense that this battle has become too real. It's no longer spiritual. It's now, it's now real and affecting your life. Job was there as well as he lost everything. The story of Job is a study in motivation, a study in motives. Because the central issue we will find comes down to motives. What do we do, or why do we do what we do? That is the central question of Job. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Job chapter 1, and we will begin in verse 6. This is after Job has been described as this man of God. He's been described as this rich man who follows God. And a scene is painted 
of this council that happens in heaven. In verse 6, Now the day came when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also arrived among them. We miss an important point, an important clue in the English translation of this verse. We hear the name Satan, and we, we instinctively know what that means in our lives. We instinctively have an idea of what that presence, of what that person does. But we miss something. In the Hebrew, the word is actually not just the proper name Satan that's used here. It is, actually has an article in front of it that means the Satan or means the accuser. It'd be like saying the plumber has come over. And all of you would know if I said I called the plumber this week that I had some issue with my plumbing. Or if I called the electrician or if I called the pastor. The author of Job is saying that the Satan, the accuser, is there. And that's so important to realize and grasp the meaning that the author wants us to get. It really says the accuser arrived before God. It is a description of what he is there to do. If you struggle today, feeling accused by God, that you are not good enough, or doing enough for him, or holy, or righteous enough, know that it is not God who stands accusing you. Know that it is the accuser, Satan, Satan himself, who stands accusing us today, saying that you are not good enough, putting those feelings of doubt, of strife, of pain in our life. It is not God who accuses us in this battle. It is Satan who is accusing us, and through us, more importantly, is accusing God himself. The accuser arrived at the meeting. Verse 7, So the Lord said to the accuser, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, From roving about on the earth, from walking back and forth across it. Don't miss the picture that's painted here. Satan, as he does today, as we find in 1 Peter, is prowling the earth. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, says, The accuser, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, roves like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Like the Israelites got up in the morning in the desert and sought food, sought the manna. Like families and friends went out and sought good men to marry their daughters. This search that the accuser is on, he is searching the earth, seeking whom he may devour. And God knows it. And Satan, the accuser, tells him. What a picture that paints of what Satan is trying to do. Verse 8, the story continues. 
in this question and answer session between God and Satan, the accuser. So the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Job? This is not an accusation. This is God bringing up Job to Satan. Because God, in knowing what Satan's main goal had been in roving about the earth, in roaming, was to find who he could devour. God knows what Satan's been looking for and brings up one man. One man and says, Satan, what can you accuse Job of? Have you considered my servant Job, the Bible says? There is no one like him on earth, a pure and upright upright man. Who is speaking these words? God is speaking these words about Job. One who fears God and turns away from evil. Don't miss this amazing point. God, years before the cross, years before when we look at that amazing grace-filled moment when Jesus sacrificed his life, years before that, God is still the same gracious God that he was at the cross, still the same gracious God that he was at creation, that he was from the beginning of whenever a beginning that doesn't exist began. God has been that gracious God. And there he stands, saying, Have you considered my servant Job? God stood for Job. God noticed what Job was doing and didn't accuse Job. No, he brought out what Job had done, not through his power, not through Job's power, but through God's power. That same grace that we look for today and that we use, that we desire, that we receive from God, was available to Job years, centuries before the cross. God is gracious and has never, ever changed. And that is good news for today. It is only through the transforming grace of God that Job is declared pure, blameless, upright through his relationship with God, through this connection. Job has accepted this grace and it has changed his life and God declares him pure and upright. God claims us as his own. God stands for us knowing that we are covered by the righteousness of someone who is deserving. We can claim that covering and be declared upright and righteous just like Job was. That gift is available for us today. To help illustrate the idea of being claimed as your own, when maybe you don't feel like you should be. My senior year in high school, it was Christmas time and I was getting ready to come home for Christmas break. 
I went to a boarding school, so I was away from my family for a good portion of the time, and so things would change about myself. Um, I had, maybe a couple years too late in the early 90s, adopted the hairstyle of the 80s, um, business on top, party in the back. <laughs> just, just imagine it with me as I remember it as well. Business on top, party in the back. I had developed a hairstyle. My mom wasn't too excited with it. My, my manly facial hair was coming into form, and I had just not shaved for a long time. And I called my dad a couple of weeks before I came home. I was like, man, dad, I'm growing a beard. It's awesome. I look like a biker. And we developed this, we developed a evil plan to cause my mom strife. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's tough, I know. And I apologize to my mom every time I recollect this story with her around. But we came up with this plan that I would live out her worst fears. And so that evening after I arrived home, when she came up the stairs, I had my bass guitar strapped on low. I had my hair flowing long. I had a magnetic earring stuck into my ear. I had some stick em on tattoos on my arm and shoulder. <clears throat> that was my mom's worst fear. And as she walked up the stairs that evening, her worst fear was realized. As I was there playing my guitar with music that shouldn't be listened to or played, and the blood drained from her face. She couldn't speak or wouldn't speak for an hour, it seemed like. My dad was following up the stairs, knowing what was, knowing what was going to happen. This was our idea. So I tried to tell my mom, hey, it's dad's idea too, to just lessen the blow on myself. <laughs> and she went into her room for a while, maybe shed a tear or two. I was like, mom, they rub right off. It's okay. Um, don't worry. Um, I waited for her to come out of her room. When she did, she came and sat down at the piano, began to just play, and I would kind of say, are you okay yet? No. Are you okay yet? No. So finally, I just sat down and said, I'm sorry, Mom, it was Dad's idea. Uh, <laughs> no. I but what my mom said to me sticks with me. She was like, it's okay, son, I love you anyway. The love of God that claims us as our own, even if we have acted a fool, even if we have done something silly, knowing we might regret it, God still loves and accepts us as his own. God stands for us in this spiritual battle. And that is good news for today, that God stands for us and says, have you considered the people of Grace Point. They are covered with the grace of Jesus. That grace is available to you. That declaration from God is available to you today. But here we arrive at the main 
central point. The motives behind Job's life. The accuser stands up and says, Is it for nothing that Job fears God? Think about that statement for a second. Is it for nothing? Because remember, Job is a wealthy man. He has it all. He has everything that the world could offer. He has been blessed by God. And Satan, the accuser, stands there and says, Is it for nothing? No, it is not for nothing. It is because you have put a hedge, the Bible says. You have put a hedge around Job. You have made his household great and all that he has. You have blessed the work of his hands. But extend your hand and strike everything he has, and he will no doubt curse you to your face. The accuser, the accuser, the one who lived in the presence of God and yet chose to walk away, stood there saying, it's not for nothing. It's because Job has everything this world could have. His life is easy. That is why he loves you. This question cuts to the heart of genuine faith. The issue is whether God deserves to be worshipped because of because of the greatness of his character or must he buy his worship with gifts and promises of blessings. Satan questions our motives today. He accuses us of being selfish, of being only serving God because of the blessings. But notice here, remember it is God who stood up and said, have you considered? Satan's accusation does not lie solely at our feet. Satan's accusation is not bared just upon our shoulders because Satan is really, the accuser is focused, really focused on God saying, God, it is you who is not being fair. Your mercy and grace are not fair. It is only accepted when you have given the blessings. God stands for us. Satan accuses our motives. Motives are a hard thing to understand. It takes a long time to discern motives. This week I was at Starbucks, sitting down, just needed a quiet place where I didn't know anybody to just try and get some work done. And I'm sitting there and this gentleman who had been sitting beside me for 20 minutes or so struck, struck up a conversation. And, you know, it's the coffee shop. Everybody's a friend. And so he be, we began to talk, and he begins to tell a story that's similar to mine. There's connections that are kind of uncanny to mine. He begins asking questions, and in the back of my mind, filters are going up, alarms are going off, questioning, what is this guy's motive? Why is, is it just to talk to me and make friends, 
Or is there something sinister about this conversation? Does he want to learn some piece of information and try and take advantage of me in some way that I can't imagine? And so I sit there, and my, as my alarms begin to go off, I realize I'm questioning his motives. And while in this world we do need to question the motives of people from time to time, we need to realize that questioning and judging motives is the work of Satan. We need to understand that motives take so much time to understand, yet Satan stands accusing our motives. This is the central issue of this spiritual battle that we fight. The central issue of why do we worship God? Is it just because of blessings that we have received? And so we stand accused by Satan judging our motives. To help illustrate this again, imagine a beautiful lady, a beautiful young woman who has everything, is rich, has all that you could desire, would be an amazing, amazing wife. And there's two gentlemen who are both interested in her. They treat her the same. They both send her flowers. They both take her out to dinner. They both give her gifts. But the motives are hard to discern and take time to understand because one loves her for her personality and loves her for who she is. One loves her for what she can give and what he can get from her. Motives are so hard to understand, yet Satan stands accusing our motives. And this is the battle that we face. This is the battle. Sorry, I'm, these lights are bright and warm. I didn't wear my headband today. So let me just take a moment to... It's starting to drip on my glasses, and I'm okay with it dripping everywhere else, but when, I, when there's water droplets in the way, that's distracting. So anyway, pardon me while I had to take care of that. Um, the battle lines of our motives have been drawn. And there's only one way to win this battle, though. And that is victory comes through weakness. We arrive at probably one of the trickiest verses to understand as Christians. Verse 12, so the accuser says, all right then. Actually, God says to the accuser, my bad. God says to the accuser, all right then, everything he has is in your power. Only do not extend your hand against the man himself. There are some of us here today who I know feel that God has allowed something like this to happen in our life, where we have experienced pain and loss that we do not understand. And we question God, saying, God, where were you? God, where are you when I'm feeling this loss? And the only answer that we can have the only answer that is available is that God is in the same place that he was when his son, Jesus Christ, was murdered on the cross. God feels our distresses. This is not God saying, I want to punish them for what they've done. This is Satan accusing God of 
and us of our motives and saying, it's only because of your blessings. And so God says, I will take the blessings away. Take the blessings away. They will still love me for nothing. They still love me, not for what they receive, but they love me for who I am. As was mentioned in the children's story, we love today because God first loved us. That is why we love, and that is the battle that we face. Can we? Thank you. Can we, do we love God for who he is? Do we worship God for what he gives us, not blessings, but the grace and mercy that he gives us? Because he is worthy of our praise. Is that why we worship God? And that is the ultimate death blow to Satan. When we stand up and say, God, we love you, not because of what you give us, but because of who you are. The ultimate death blow to Satan. The ultimate victory to this spiritual battle is to stand up and say, Yes, Jesus, I love you, not because of what you give me, but because of who you are. In Romans... Paul writes some amazing words that give us hope for today. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword... And then he has the amazing answer to that question. What is going to separate us? Paul says in verse 37, nothing. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can be conquerors today in this spiritual battle. We can achieve, we can bask in the glory and grace of Jesus and his love for us. And we can do it out of the motivation of just loving God solely because he loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, life, angels, demons, present, future, powers, height, depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The spiritual battle is real, but the spiritual victory is just as real. Know that Satan stands accusing God of being unfair. It is Satan who tries to use us as pawns. God just extends his arms and says, I have created them. I have loved them. They will love me for nothing. Today, I want to have that surrender in my life, that surrender that says, I don't care what this world gives me, Lord. I surrender my life to you. There's peace to be found in that surrender. And if you are at a place in your life where you're finding that difficult, know that victory, know that answers 
are available in Jesus Christ today. Know that Jesus stands for you today against the accuser saying, have you considered my people today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you stand for us in a spiritual battle that would break us You stand for us saying, have you considered? Lord, may we surrender. May we have that relationship with you that allows us to stand saying, yes, Lord, I love you, not for what you give me, but because of who you are. That is my prayer, and I ask these things in the saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We invite.